got a few screws loose since the days of my youth. It's a few screws loose podcast. I got a few screws loose and I'm telling you the truth. It's a few screws loose podcast. I got a few screws loose. You don't really want proof. It's a few screws loose podcast. I got a few screws loose. Why do what I do? It's a few screws loose podcast. Welcome back to another episode of A Few Screws Loose. I am P from Charlotte. You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Screws Loose Pod. And I am Dan, a.k.a. Dan on Drugs. You can catch me on Twitter and IG at I am Dan on Drugs. On our last episode, we talked about hypervigilance. We discussed the positive and negative impacts that hypervigilance has had on me and Dan's lives. Uh, we discussed Situations in which our vigilance and uh, preparations were a little extreme based on normal standards. And uh, we also told a story about when I was in an altercation with my neighbor's entire family and my pregnant wife and my daughter and my son. And it was a sight to be seen. (laughs) So check that episode out on hypervigilance. On this episode, we are discussing recklessness. Recklessness is something that many people, whether you have mental illness or not, are prone to suffer from occasionally. Um, But recklessness among the mentally ill can be a lot more common and a lot more destructive. So uh, me and Dan are going to break into that tonight. And uh, I think it's going to be pretty interesting, especially as we kind of reflect on things that we've done that (laughs) that might have been seen as kind of reckless and frankly stupid to someone else on the outside who may be looking at us. So being that we're talking about reckless behavior, P, um, let's just start off with the first question. What can cause people to knowingly act reckless? And when I when I say knowingly act reckless, you're you're in control. You know exactly what you're doing. You know what the possible consequences could be, but yet you still decide to go through with it. That's what I mean by knowingly. So um, what, what are some of the things that can cause that? Well, there are multiple different factors that can cause recklessness in people, um, clinical and non-clinical. Obviously, some are substance abuse related, whether it be drugs, alcohol or things like that. Um, others are medical, which, you know, even though you said knowing, but, you know, you may have people with developmental disorders. Um, But since we kind of base our show off of our own experiences, we're going to mainly get into the clinical cause. And, you know, there are a few different causes that are fairly common. We we spoke about mania on our episode, Wrestling with Mania, from a couple weeks ago. Um, Mania is definitely a major uh, contributor um, to reckless behavior. Uh, you know, and mania tends to come with bipolar disorder, uh, you know, anxiety, depression, PTSD. Those are some clinical reasons and some clinical causes of um, that will make people more prone to reckless behavior. Um, so it's just another one of those things where we run into this phenomenon a lot where it seems as though many of these mental illnesses, although they are distinct from one another, they do have a lot of 
common factors that are fairly similar. Borderline personality disorder, that, that's another one that can cause one to be reckless, right? Uh, are you familiar with BPD? Yeah, I'm sort of familiar with it. Um, it's kind of questionable if I know people personally that suffer from it. We all know people who, let's, let's be real, we all know people who are assholes. And to some people, we might be the assholes, okay? <laughs> but um, borderline personality disorder is another one of those disorders that is kind of difficult to uh, diagnose initially. Um, it has a lot of differential diagnosis. Di- differential diagnosis means diagnosis that have similar traits, symptoms, um, and we discussed some of these other disorders. You know, we, we got into bipolar and manias and things like that. Um, but borderline personality disorder kind of I almost want to say it's like the granddaddy of all personality issues. I mean, you have your narcissism. Uh, you have a disturbed sense of identity where you don't know who you are. You kind of uh, try on different personalities to fit sit- certain situations. Uh, you know, you 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 have a. You know, splitting black and white thinking. I think me and Dan talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, impulsivity, uncontrollable emotional reactions that seem disproportionate to the event or the situation. Um, mm-hmm. Self damage and behavior. So you know, th- there are a lot of, uh, I guess, symptoms that must go into the defining criteria before a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder can be made. But just reading up on it, Dan. I mean, it's it sounds like. You know, you do not want to run into someone too close to you that does suffer from this. You know, I have right here in front of me a it's a website It's helpguide.org. And here are some key things with borderline personality disorder. So do you identify with the following statements? I often feel empty. My emotions shift very quickly, and I often experience extreme sadness, anger, and anxiety. I'm constantly afraid that people I care about will abandon me or leave me. I would describe most of my romantic relationships as intense but unstable. That's like half the people I know. Uh, the like way 99% of the people we know. <laughs> yeah. The way I feel about people in my life can change dramatically from one moment to the next, and I don't always understand why. I often do things that I know are dangerous, unhealthy, things such as driving recklessly, having unsafe sex, binge drinking, using drugs, or going on spending sprees. I've attempted to hurt myself or engaged in self-harming behavior such as cutting or threatening suicide. When I'm feeling insecure in a relationship, I tend to lash out or make impulsive gestures to keep the other person close. So, uh, P, out of that list, right, you, I mean, how many of those things do you identify with? Uh, I mean, I guess simplistically on a couple of those questions, such as, you know, kind of spending money unnecessarily at times, um, kind of changing my opinion of people, um, quickly but the thing is though it's i can't genuinely say i can relate because of the way those questions they're kind of weighted right they kind of go hand in hand with each other so i may spend a lot of money on something every now and then i may be manic right hypothetically and i may go buy something stupid that i don't need um but it's not as part of some bigger issue right 
I don't really have the personal relationship issues that um, would qualify as someone with borderline personality disorder. Sure, I don't have a lot of relationships with people, but the ones that I do have are strong and consistent. Um, with borderline personality, these relationships are not strong and they end and begin again and end and, you know, they're not consistent at all. It's always sort of a of a, a, a manipulation involved, like kind of give and take. Um, but <laughs> the person with borderline personality doesn't give much. Just take, take, take. So now, nah, Dan, yeah. I can't really say. Um, what about you? I'm going to run through the list. I, I kind of have an unfair advantage because I have the list right here in front of me. So just starting from the top. Yes, I do often feel empty. Yes, my emotions do shift very quickly and I do experience extreme sadness, anger and anxiety. I am constantly afraid that the people that I care about will abandon me. Um, I would not describe most of my romantic relationships as intense but unstable. The way I feel about people in my life can dramatically change from one moment to the next. And where I differ is I do understand why. So usually they've done some shit to piss me off. Um, I often do things that are dangerous or unhealthy. And eh. I mean, we're going to get into that um, at face value. I'll say, yes, I do. But there's some caveats there. So, yeah, I've attempted to hurt myself. No, I've never attempted. Well, I did try to commit suicide once when I was probably like 11 years old. Um, I took a whole lot of ibuprofen. Cause I ain't want to go to school. <laughs> you know, I really, I, I was really like, man, if I take all these ibuprofen, I'll die and I don't have to go to school. I'm sure there was like some deeper rooted <laughs> issue, but that, that was, I think my thought process, man. So I took a shit ton of ibuprofen, like, and to a kid, 11 year old kid, a shit tons, probably like I took five or six of them joints, maybe, maybe even, you know, around 10, but, I just went to sleep for a long time and then woke back up and still had to go to school. I was like, man, fuck. That's yeah, you know you wasn't staying home work. that day. Hey, you ain't lying, That's man. That's old I, school, man. You better be dead if you stay home from school. I died multiple times and still had to go to school. <laughs> <laughs> just going back to what we were saying a minute ago about how um, even though some of the criteria do fit, I I don't I can't really say. That is, it fits in the context of be, a borderline personality disorder. There are different types. Uh -huh. I saw um, the World Health Organization defines and classifies borderline personality into two subtypes: impulsive type and a uh, borderline type. But um, the other thing to show you how complex this can be is there's a doctor uh, named Theodore Millen. I think that's his name. He proposed four subtypes, and his four uh, proposed subtypes were. Uh, Discouraged borderline, including avoidant, depressive, and dependent features. That's uh, submissive, uh, feels hopelessness, depressed, helpless, and powerless. The other is petulant borderline. Um, you're, you're, you're pretty much a negative person. You're impatient, restless, stubborn, defiant, sullen. Um, the third is impulsive borderline. Um, you know, those are people who are superficial, uh, superficial uh, frenetic. They uh, fear loss. Um, they are sexually, uh, you know, reckless. They become easily agitated and gloomy and suicidal. And the fourth is self-destructive borderline. And those are people who are inward turning, angry, uh, conforming, 
dif- uh, deferential and um, high strung and possible highest risk for suicide. So, um, you know, we started off about recklessness, but we touched on borderline personality because this is such a wide ranging disorder that um, one common symptom, I think, out of all of the subtypes of borderline personality disorder is that recklessness that that we that we're talking about tonight. And, uh, you know, based on your subtype, you know, <laughs> you, you can really be pretty bad off if you have some of these. Actually, like everything you said, man, I can um relate to that, too. Uh, Well, in, in some sense. And, and that's what's dangerous, too. I want to I wanted to say this. That's what's dangerous about a lot of these online self tests. Like, are you depressed? Are you do you have anxiety? Do you have um, schizophrenia? Do you have it's when you're when you're trying to self diagnose, I, I'd advise against it highly because there's a lot of nuance in in these um, these definitions or these diagnosis, um, whereas you might not be privy to these nuances so you'll you'll read like everything i've read about bpd uh borderline personality disorder would suggest that i have borderline personality disorder and i I told p earlier when we were um kind of planning out the show i'm like yo man i'm surprised i never got diagnosed with uh borderline personality disorder and he was like uh nah man you don't you know you don't really fit a lot of the stuff i'm like yo man that i actually i fit damn near you know, every every there's nine um there's nine descriptive traits, I guess, of uh, BPD. And I'm like, I fit all fucking nine of them. So that's why I would highly, highly advise against self-diagnosis. P, right quick, too, before I get into the nine symptoms. Um, What you have any thoughts on self-diagnosis using the Internet, especially being that you have a medical your medical background, so to speak? Well, as hard as it is to self-diagnose using the internet or self-diagnose period, apparently borderline personality is also difficult to diagnose by a professional. There's a um, lot of instances where uh, borderline personality has a comorbidity, which means coexists with other disorders as well that may be underlying um, and the misdiagnosis of borderline personality kind of uh, is common. It comes across as depression, PTSD, and bipolar. So mm-hmm. as difficult as it is to even diagnose, to diagnose yourself um, based on the symptoms you read is even more difficult. Well, I'm not going to say more. It's also difficult by a professional. And I think that um, this is probably one of those disorders where you have to be honest and genuine in your treatment and also have a long relationship long and open um, relationship with your therapist because they would need to get a a big picture of your behavior patterns and your uh, factors, your, you know, your condition, your environmental factors that cause you to have issues because uh, you don't want to be misdiagnosed. So um, if you're in the doctor, you're getting therapy, be honest, you know, try to get a good relationship so you can get to the root of some of these issues because borderline personality is, is, is serious. Yeah. So what I'm going to do here uh, is read off just the nine symptoms of borderline personality disorder, Uh, fear of abandonment, unstable relationships, unclear or shifting self-image. And that's basically saying that you're 
your sense of self is unstable. Sometimes you might feel good, feel you look good. Other times you feel bad, you hate yourself, feel you look bad. Um, Impulsive. Does this dress make me look fat? (laughs) Man. So there you have it. P wears dresses. Um, (laughs) Impulsive or self-destructive behaviors, self-harm, extreme emotional swings, chronic feelings of emptiness, explosive anger, feeling suspicious or out of touch with reality. And by suspicious, uh, people with borderline personality disorder, they struggle with like paranoia or suspicious thoughts about someone else's motives. So um, that's the nine symptoms. And what's crazy is all nine of them I can say yes to. And, you know, that's like I said, self-diagnosis is is a dangerous thing and a slippery slope. And like P said, it's even it's it's hard for a licensed professional to diagnose one as a borderline person have having BPD. Well, I'll say me and Dan definitely can say yes to the explosive temper. Uh, <laughs> we may be slow to anger outwardly um, to others. You know, oh, you got I've been told that I've, I'm patient. And it's funny because I'm like. I'm not patient, yo. I've learned how to display patience to avoid from ripping someone's head off. Yeah. So, so um, I'm pretty sure me and Dan could definitely, if if any of those things, you know, we, we have in common, we can say that explosive temper definitely is one. But you're right, Dan. I mean, I, just on the surface, I mean, I do fit a lot of those as well. And I would think that most people fit at least a few of those criteria. Just, you know, most people have a lot of stress going on. Most people, I I, I kind of think sort of like depression, right? Where people think, oh, I'm sad because this, or I'm sad because that. And they may confuse um, environmental depression with clinical depression. Right. And I think that that may be in a situation that some may have if they're trying to self-diagnose, which once again, we don't recommend self-diagnosis. But um, that's one of those things where someone may misdiagnose themselves just by answering yes and no to these questions without going into the factors behind the the reason for these types of behaviors. Yeah, exactly, man. All right. So, yeah, I think it's fair to say that neither one of us have BPD um, and I, I would hate to have BPD. But something you said kind of struck uh, struck a chord with me, which was people calling you patient. Right. I'm often called patient as well um people oh dan you're so patient you're so patient and on the inside um like p said like i'm furious i i want to attack someone i want to harm someone but i'm holding it together and the outward appearance is very calm cool and collective right i'm one of the least patient people that i know so this week um i slept maybe on average three hours a night and I'm talking all week. So it finally caught up with me today and I had to go to work today, fell asleep last night, maybe at three something in the morning. Then I had a bout of sleep paralysis and it's weird too. Yo, I was like in my, I was having one of those lucid dreams where you, you kind of know you're dreaming, but not controlling the dream. So anyway, I'm riding a bike in my dream and a fucking dog's chasing me. It's me and somebody else. So I start pedaling hard and fast trying to get away. And the dog caught up to me and started like mauling my arm. Right. 
what was fucking weird is in real life, physically, I felt pain in my arm like a dog was fucking mauling me. And I'm like, yo, I know this is a dream. I know this is a dream. I know this is a dream. So, um, like, you know, after that, I, I kind of wake up and my arm still hurts. Now, I'm not dreaming anymore. This is real life. I'm like, why the fuck does my arm still hurt? That was only a dream. But yo, man, the brain does some weird shit. So I lay back down. Now I sleep on the couch. Um, It's like it's funny because damn near everyone I know who has some sort of mental illness sleeps on the couch. Uh, That's that's something we'll have to look into. But um, I go into uh, one of those half awake, half asleep um, type of things. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I need to move. I don't know why I need to move, but I need to move. And my heart starts beating real fast. I can't move. Oh, shit. It's sleep paralysis again. And that's basically when your brain's awake, but your body's asleep. And uh, we, we did talk about that in episode one a little bit. I can only imagine that that's what death feels like. That's what being dead feels like. Like, I I don't know. Like, your brain is trapped inside of a dead body or something. But uh, here nor there. So... That's actually that. Well, that's actually a big fear of mine, man. Like that. That's a big fear of mine. Like when I die, I'm like, shit. You know, what if? Uh, all right, let me let me go back real quick. I mean, to interrupt. You know, I have a medical background in EMT, and I've studied you know the body for my job. So even though I was an EMT, we study you know pretty much all there is about the body, and we know a lot about the brain after you stop breathing because we have to do CPR and a set amount of time your brain cells die. Um, well, medical science has revealed that your brain does not die as soon as um, after death, after, you know, being called dead as they used to think. So one of my fears is, you know, what if I'm alive for two, three, four hours in my brain, but I'm just unable to do anything and they cut me open for autopsies. So that's a little grim. But um, that's actually yeah. one of my fears, Dan, when you brought that up, that it must feel like death. Like, well, because, you know, Man. what if it is? What if that what if that Hell happens yeah. to everyone? That and that's exactly why. And th- this is no bullshit. That is exactly why that I made it perfectly clear when I die, cremate me because now, of course, I'm sure your brain's not going to live for years after your body dies. But we we don't know shit. We don't know shit about death <laughs> other than you know, your body's dead. So imagine being thrown inside of a box, thrown into the ground, six feet under underground. And your brain's still like functioning as if you were alive for years and you're in this black box and you can't move like, man, fuck that. Burn me. Yeah. So that's basically why I want to get cremated. So anyway, while I was in this state of sleep paralysis, I I thought to myself, yo, I need to get Becky. I need to get Becky. I need her. Like, that's the first thing my mind jumps to is get someone to wake me up. So this is what I thought was happening, like no bullshit. It was almost like a hallucination because, again, half sleep, half awake. I got up and stumbled over to a wall and just started banging on the wall and grunting and going, mm, mm, mm. and uh, I was trying to get Becky's attention to come, you know, out of the back of the house where she was sleeping and come check on me, wake me up or do something. So in my head. That's what I'm doing. I'm I'm banging on this damn wall trying to get her attention. But in reality, I'm just laying there. I might have been grunting or something. So, yeah, man, that, that shit happened last night. So 
I go into work this morning and I go in about two and a half hours late. And that's that's kind of acceptable behavior for me at this point. Um, So I get there. I try to come in quietly and just sit at my desk hoping no one notices. And, then, you know, after you've been there for so long, it's like, you know, one of those things like, damn, he, he's been sitting over there a while. I, I don't even remember when he came in. As soon as I walk in, this lady who I really I'm starting to strongly dislike because she's one of those fake positive people. And in my opinion, I think she's on drugs. And when I say drugs, I mean drugs, drugs. She's a pastor or a reverend's wife. And the first couple of years working with her, I'm like, oh, she's nice. She's some sweet old lady. She reminds me of my grandma. And those are the ones you got to watch out for is these fake, super yeah. positive people, man. Because to, especially to me, in the South. Hell yeah. To me, they're the ones that's trying to get over, man. They're the ones that's trying to scam you or do something. So anyway, to to kind of shorten it. So she yells out, Dan, good morning. It's so good to see you. Look, everyone, there's Dan. Like, bitch, I'm two and a half hours fucking late. Why the fuck would you shout that shit out? Like, for real, yo. So I look at her and I, I just kind of roll my eyes. It's like, yeah, it is good to see me, huh? So I sit down at my desk. And I'm on my fucking business, right? Now, it's, uh, my allergies are fucked up. So I got a headache, no sleep, sleep paralysis. Dog bit my fucking arm off last night. So I'm having a rough morning. <laughs> Man, so uh, one of my other coworkers comes up to me. And she's like, hey, we got a king cake. Uh, king cake is a traditional New Orleans, like Mardi Gras type of cake. Uh, why don't you go get a piece? So I'm like, yeah, maybe I just go get a piece of king cake, right? So I get up, cut a piece of cake. Same lady. Dan, oh my God, I didn't know you ate so much sugar. Look at that piece of cake on his plate. I'm like, young, I got mad and I snapped at her. I'm like, you just mad that you got diabetes and you can't have none. <laughs> like, man, that, that shit pisses me off, man. And I felt kind of bad after the fact because she's old. She's like someone's grandmother. But bitch, leave me the fuck alone. Like, do I bother you? Whenever you got some shit on your plate, do I bother you with you walking around drinking? I don't know what's in that cup you drinking. Some damn Jesus juice or some shit, man. Like, I don't fucking bother you. I don't really even talk to you like that. So why the fuck is you worried about what the hell I'm doing when I'm coming in, when I'm sitting down? Like, you know what? And what's, Snitches get stitches, man. Hell yeah. What's funny is the other night, too. I'm, I'm just kind of ranting right now, but fuck it. <laughs> the other night when we were closing, this is why I don't like her. She tries to ride the clock, right? We're in there for like 12, 11, 12 hours a day, six days a week, um, just just until April. But, uh, yo, when we close, some days we'll try to close a little early. Like instead of closing at eight o'clock, we'll close at 745 or something. Right. Everyone will leave except for her. And she's still answering damn phones. Hello. Thank you for calling. How, how, how can I help you? And we're like, look, lady, the phones are off. You're a receptionist. You have you have no reason or excuse to be here. And she'll look at you, smile. Oh, okay, yeah, I can go. I can let me get my stuff together. Oh, I got to pee before I go. And then she'll go in the bathroom for like five minutes. Then she'll come back out and answer another ringing phone. Hello, thank you for calling. And we're like, what What are you doing? Because you can't help these people. What you do is you answer these phones and then you transfer the damn calls to us who are technically off the clock and trying to get the fuck out of here. And this shit goes on and on, right? So, man. One day I, I witnessed her stay a whole extra hour beyond uh, closing time. It's like she had no reason to be there. So anyway, that's why I dislike her ass. Because of her, 
you know, we end up staying longer because she keeps answering these fucking phones. And then it's like, what you going to do? Hang up on people. So it's like, yeah, man, bitch, mind your fucking business. I don't fuck with you. Shit. She sound like she need her ass beat. And <laughs> I'm going to tell you, man, it's like, don't feel bad because I know now I'm starting to see that people think just because they're older, they think that that gives them the right to to be rude or be disrespectful or to say and do things that they know damn well they shouldn't say or do. So I wouldn't feel bad, man. It's, especially with that whole, Dan, how are you? That dry snitching type of thing. Yeah. It's like, shut the hell up, man. Like, I, yeah, I, if I was you, I would have said the same thing. I'd be <laughs> like, man, shut your old ass up. <laughs> Mind bitch, your business, old lady. That's why your damn pancreas don't work, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you should do? Next time she's not looking, I'm, if she got diabetes and stuff, I'm assuming she has some kind of medication. You should take all her pills out and then you should replace them joints with like uh, <laughs> sugar pills. You ever seen when you take the color? You ever seen when you take the color off a of Skittle? How they like all white? Uh huh. You should replace all of her pills with white Skittles. <laughs> bet you won't die now <laughs> so yeah man well being being that we're getting personal let me ask you this right can you remember some times that you just completely threw caution to the wind didn't care what you know what any of the consequences were but you reckless behavior before this show before we started recording i was having trouble i was thinking like damn I can't really think of things that I was doing that was really that reckless. I mean, I've done some dumb shit. But, um, you know, one thing came to mind, Dan, was when I would drive to New Orleans when I first started making that trip. I mean, I lived in PG County, Maryland at the time. I lived in District Heights, Maryland. That was way up. And I would drive to New Orleans all the way from Maryland. It was 1,106 miles. So at this point, I had a... uh, I had a black Honda Accord, a black 2001 Accord, and I was only about 20, maybe 24, 23 at, the, at, at most, maybe 23. <laughs> and um, I got to New Orleans in 11 and a half hours. And, um, you know, you do the math. There were periods when I was going 135 miles an hour in that Honda, and I didn't care. I remember I was I would just say, OK, I got. 500 miles left. Okay, that'll get I got about four and a half to five hours. And I just really did not think about the fact that if I get pulled over at a, a 135 miles an hour, if um, something goes wrong at 135 miles an hour, it's curtains for me. And now that I'm 36, yeah. I don't even drive over 79 on the highway anymore. I'm looking at it like, what the hell was wrong with me? I really had You'd have thought I'd have known better because I'd already been, I'd already totaled a car by then. Maybe two. Uh, (laughs) I was in the fire department. I know what happened when you got in accidents going even half as fast and half as fast as that is uh, (laughs) 70 something miles an hour (laughs) almost. So um, that's one instance, man. I mean, I was a damn nut on the road. And I know, Dan, that you, you used to drive similar too. like when the story, you know, the time when we were coming back from, uh, was it Baton Rouge to get back to New Orleans to watch the fight? Nah, man. Nigga, that was you driving, man. We we got in the... I was driving... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I blamed you. <laughs> <laughs> man, I was, I was just scared, right? But we had a system down. We had... <laughs> I blame that shit on you. <laughs> <laughs> like, man. Nah, man. But you, you was driving, right? We was out. Joe, all right. 
See, I, I was doing the same thing too, trying to think of stories, but um, as far as reckless behavior, and I was gonna bring that night up, man. We were out in Opelousas, Louisiana. Nobody knows where the fuck Opelousas is. I bet everyone <laughs> now is listening is like, huh? How how do you even spell that? Opelousas. O p e l o. It starts with an O. S. But uh, yeah, P had me out here <laughs> fucking with these country bitches, right? And I was like, hey, man, it's a Roy Jones fight tonight. It was uh, Roy Jones versus Antonio Tarver, the rematch. So I'm like, there's a Roy Jones fight tonight, man. We we can't be out here. So we, it takes like three hours to get back to New Orleans. Nah, man, we'll be all right. We'll be all right, man, because I guess P was trying to get some P. But um, so. <laughs> and that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, man. Fucking country motherfuckers. <laughs> we left at eight o'clock Central Standard Time. We were three hours away, no matter how you cut it. Three, three and a half hours. This nigga said, we'll be back by nine o'clock. Sure enough, <laughs> we did. We walked through the fucking door at 9.02 p.m. And we left Opelousas at eight o'clock. This trip, this is impossible. He was going like 130 to 140 miles an hour the whole way. And it was raining. And we had loud music on. And we had a damn system. And I'm sitting here looking for police on the ramps. And it's like, yo, man, we could have died a very gruesome death. And we get back and watch the fight. And Roy Jones gets knocked out in the second round. I was blown, man. I was mad Roy Jones shit. almost Roy Jones almost died a very gruesome death. <laughs> <laughs> man, like, we would have fit in on 10, though. I mean, if anybody's ever been on 10 in Louisiana, you know damn well that 10 on Louisiana is a, a death trap. It's not because it's particularly dangerous. Uh, it's it's pretty much just straight. But I mean, I guess it's, people do what me and Dan, well, what I was doing that night. I guess they go 130 miles an hour. Um, but you know, it's just when when you're in those stages. And uh, just for clarity, I didn't have any known mental issues at that time. Um, I was still new in a fire department. I've since been diagnosed with PTSD and have been out of there for almost nine years now. But um, I wasn't particularly a reckless child growing up. I've done some stupid shit, broken a lot of laws, but I was always cautious. Um, at that point, I'm not going to lie. At that point, I was doing some illegal uh, activities, making a lot of money. Um, I was just doing some strange stuff. Yeah, you, and you was tripping with that too, man. My bad. But yeah, when when, when you told me yeah. you started doing that, I'm <laughs> like, nigga, how you wait? Like, dude, how do you wait until you're 20, what, like 24, 25? I needed money. I was broke all the time. <laughs> uh, if you live in the D.C. And see, here's the thing. I didn't buy clothes and fancy stuff. I just paid the bills because, you know, my rent was like $1,200 at that time. You know, I had a baby. and So I needed money. And um, it was better way. I could have just did overtime, but I didn't. Um, but, you know, it was just looking back now, Dan, it's. I'm looking back on a lot of dumb shit that I did, and I can't believe I did it now at 36. I mean, my wife didn't know me then. If she would have known me then, she wouldn't be my wife today. Yeah, probably not. Man, I, I yeah, that, that definitely, because, man, knowing your wife is like, this crazy motherfucker here, fuck this guy. <laughs> didn't you, uh, <laughs> speaking of recklessness, right? See, all my stories are really about you. <laughs> Well, all my uh, <laughs> examples and didn't you and your wife on one of y'all first dates, didn't y'all like do a hit and run? You hit someone's car while you was trying to park <laughs> and ran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I should have told her I'd already right seen. <laughs> well, I'd already uh, 
saw my wife in person a couple times. We met on social media through a mutual friend. I'd already seen her in person. I've already gone down to visit her in Charlotte, where I live now. Um, this time she came up to visit me and she had her son with her. <laughs> and um, this was not this was only a couple years after I finished being in the fire department. And I was a beast driving the trucks. I was a beast driving the ladder truck and I was a beast driving the fire engine. Um, I drove every truck in the county, the command pods, everything. Um, so <laughs> I used to have a saying. I was like, oh, man, that ain't shit. I used to drive fire trucks. Um, so this particular day I had a red little Audi A4 and my wife was in the car, my, and her, and her, uh, son was in the car and I was trying to squeeze, but it was, a a van parked to the right of me and it was a car in the, in front of me turning left. And I had, a, I was trying to squeeze between the car and the van. <laughs> so my wife said, well, my now wife said, you sure you got that? You got enough room? I said, shit, you don't know me. I used to drive fire trucks. And I started to realize that I started to face some resistance trying to get between the cars. I'm like, why the hell is the car not going? So I heard something go. <laughs> and I scraped the whole side of my car on the bumper of the van and I pulled the bumper of the van off. And I said, oh, shit. So I just gunned it and I put it in. I put it in uh, first gear and then and I took off and I turned. And I, <laughs> and I didn't say anything about it. And I just kind of just pretended like what happened didn't happen. And, you know, my wife kind of was not saying anything. I'm pretty sure she was like, I know this motherfucker didn't just do a hit and run. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. So when I got back to the apartment, I looked at my car and I had a big, long scra- a scrape on the side. <laughs> and I drove up the street the next day to look at the van and the, <laughs> and the, and the bumper was on the ground. Damn, so <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell you one thing about my wife now and even back then, she doesn't really say anything to you as you're fucking up. <laughs> after you fuck up, she really don't say nothing to you after you fuck up until you acknowledge that you fucked up. And she say, yeah, I don't know what you was thinking. So, um, yeah, I did a hit and run with my wife and her son in the car the third time I saw her. Man, here's, here's another one, man. All right. Um, as P mentioned, he did. He started driving down to New Orleans fairly often. And this one time, right, he comes down. Now, at this point, I was still living with my mama. And, you know, he would come crash on the couch, crash on the floor or whatever. Right. So this one particular time he came down, he came, we kicked it. We went out and just rode around, did some shit, came back to the house. And for the next two days, I started like working on this beat that I was uh, that we were going to rap to. Right. Uh, So my mama comes up to me on day two is like, Where's where's P at? I haven't seen him in a couple of days. Is he still here? Now, yeah, he out in Opelousa somewhere. <laughs> and then same thing I said earlier. And my mama being in Louisiana was like, where? Opelousa's, man. It's like, you know, past Lafayette. What the fuck's he doing out there? Like, oh, some girl he met on, um, what was it, Black Planet or MySpace or something? <laughs> yeah, it was Black so Planet. I was like, yeah, he, he, he just <laughs> went out there to uh, go to a funeral. Or a wedding. It was a wedding. He just went out there it to go wedding, to a wedding. Yeah. Why the fuck's he going out there to a wedding? Like, where's he staying? <laughs> like, I don't know. I think he had a hotel, but I, I don't really know. Uh, you should maybe check on him. Like, nah, man, he be all right. <laughs> like, this motherfucker comes down here and disappears and goes like three, four hours away for like two days and thought that that was like... Yeah, that's normal. That's all right. You know, I'll just go to some strange broad sister's wedding. And so then anyway, 
He comes back. He's like, I didn't know any of those people. Yeah, you was you was lunching, man. Come <laughs> come back and was like, yeah, man. You know, I think uh, I need to stop telling women what they what they want to hear because <laughs> I think she thinks we're gonna get married now. And like, why why would she think y'all gonna get married, man? Uh, because I might have said <laughs> oh. it. <laughs> Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That was let me let me make this clear to everyone out there. Life lesson, okay? Life lesson. Don't make it a habit telling women what you think they want to hear <laughs> if you have no intention of actually living up to those promises. I had no intention. Um like, yeah. I ended up at some weird wedding. I mean, it was strange. I was it was I ended up on some southern plantation at a wedding reception. I didn't know anybody there. I'm eating boudin balls and I didn't even know what the hell I was eating at the time. Um and oh Dan, do you remember how I ended up getting out of that that situation? Yeah, that that's what I was well, not maybe not that particular situation, <laughs> but man, I remember how you you dated the whole the situation as a whole and that shit was funny. <laughs> man, this Bama came back and was like, "Yeah, man, you know, I'm, I'm not going to tell women anymore, anymore, man." Like, see, I don't know, he got scared straight out that joint because she got like, I guess, really attached and real clingy. <laughs> so he, I, mind you, he just literally said, "I'm not going to tell women what they want to hear." Hey, man, could you do me a favor? Yeah, what's up, man? Uh, can you go on my space and just you know tell I got locked up for murder and I'm gonna be locked up for like you know 25 to life. <laughs> So I started laughing. I was like, nigga, didn't you just like say you went? All right, man. Yeah, I got you. So I get on MySpace and I tell her, I'm like, uh, yeah, I just, you know, P wanted me to tell you that he's he got locked up and he kept um like throwing hints at her. Yeah, I might be going to jail. You know, I might be going to jail. Yep. I might have done something. Like, if you care. I remember. Somebody. I remember. I, I, I remember I text this the early days of text. And I said, uh, yeah, man, like. I'm just trying to tell you, like, I ain't do it, man. I ain't do nothing, man. <laughs> that was all I said. He <laughs> was trying to build an alibi to get out of the <laughs> he, he tried to use murder as an alibi. <laughs> like, God damn, man. <laughs> and then I just popped back up on social media like two weeks later. Yeah. And then and pretend like nothing happened. She kept on uh, hitting me on MySpace and was like, Hey, uh, I saw P P was out, uh, cause he's on like, uh, you know, he's online now. Like, nah, nah, that's just uh somebody else. So I kept telling him, hey man, I'm getting tired of lying to this broad man, cause she keep on fucking <laughs> inboxing me like every fucking day. Yeah, man, just tell her whatever you want. So I think I started making up weird stories and shit. I don't even remember now. But yeah, man, that shit was that shit was funny, man. Like, what what made you think that? It was okay to go to some really strange place very far away and you know nobody there. Man, weren't you afraid of getting set up and robbed or jacked or some shit? Well, see, that's the thing, right? I didn't get afraid of that until I got there. And when I got there, I said, yeah, I probably shouldn't be out here. That was in Lafayette. It was in uh, Alexandria, Louisiana. God no, damn. Lafayette, Louisiana. No, it, it was it was one of those two. Regardless, once you've been to one, you've been to both. And, um, yeah. well, all right, Dan, I got something for you. I got, I got a situation for you. I, I think you remember right. how we used to ride around at night all the time and uh, how we used to, I, how you, you, you used to drive this time up and down route one in Fairfax. And that one time when we was going about 90 on route one by telegraph road and, uh, <laughs> you, t you were trying to pass that person that was in front of us, but we ended up in the turning lane and 
I remember looking at you because it was a car stopped in the turning lane in front of us and the car that we were trying to pass was still in front of us too. And it was no slowdown. You stayed going about 80 and it was either we going to crash into the back of this car going 80 miles an hour or we going to get over and we going to live. And it was no, there was no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There was no protection, mes- no, no cautionary measures taken in case those things didn't pan out well. We, yeah. we, we both pretty much just said, fuck it. If this is how it's going to be, this is how it's going to be. Man. Luckily, we made it. That joint, I remember that night, man. And like, it's funny because trying to explain the story to people, they, they don't understand when I say I had no choice but to accelerate towards a stopped car because we wasn't stopping. We was already going like 80. The speed limit's what, 45? Heavy, heavy yeah. traffic area. So I jump in the turning lane and I look and there's a car stop. I'm like, shit, there ain't a lot of room. I think then I turned to like overdrive off and just like gun that joint and barely, barely made it. Like we're talking probably inches going like 80 plus yeah. miles an hour, man. I remember that shit. And we ain't say shit for like 15 minutes, young. I know. I was like, shit. I think the first thing we probably said was like, young, I thought we was going to die back there. <laughs> Let me tell you. The, the funny, I, I don't, I don't think you was drinking at that time anymore either. Um, I just think, I don't think you were drinking anymore. But um, I remember that um, Dan used to do some things when we drove, and I just felt like, okay, well, shit, if he got it under control, I trust him, man. And we still here. I ain't. So apparently, you had it under control. I ain't stopped drinking till I moved to Louisiana. <laughs> so I was probably drunk as shit that night. <laughs> Damn, we was about to be a motherfucking PSA. <laughs> he probably was drunk then. <laughs> You know how many fatal wrecks I ran at that intersection? I ran probably three fatal wrecks at that same intersection. And that's because over the years. They ain't out of drive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of other times I've thrown caution to the wind. I know um, I ended up weird places with strange broads. Uh, man. Yeah, that happened. I did half twice. I brought you along that one time. Yeah. Oh, and then the crackhead and the, mother. ended up yeah, pawing you off on the crackhead mother. Now, the mess up thing is. We have done so much stupid shit that after a while, things start to kind of run together. Yeah. You know, I mean, did you tell the story about when you had that high speed chase through um, D.C. going in, onto the Wilson, onto the Woodrow Wilson Bridge and you hit all those cars? You know what? Yeah. I'm, th- I'm yeah, seeing but, a common oh, yeah. denominator in, in, in a lot of your things is, is, is cars. I think <laughs> you put a lot of your reckless behavior into driving. This was this was actually one of many nights that made me stop uh, drinking. Also, I told the story once before, but I got pissy drunk, 17 years old, got pissy drunk, Hennessy. Um, and a couple of the dudes from the neighborhood wanted to go out to Valley Ave and get some weed. And I'm like, all right, let's roll. For some reason, we, we were rolling two cars deep. It was, I was driving one and they were with another car. So anyway, we're going down route one speeding we're racing each other just got done drinking a whole bunch of hennessy and we see in the rear view a cop with his lights on so i'm like fuck i'm going to jail the cop pulled the other car over and the driver of that car luckily hadn't been drinking so they got a ticket so we get on uh woodrow wilson bridge we start racing again and end up getting off going to valley ave so as we're coming down valley ave i literally sideswiped a whole row of cars because I fell asleep at the wheel. And I hear people in the backseat there yelling out, Dan, 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 man, somebody wake that nigga up. And I'm like, I'm up. 
but I couldn't like open my eyes and shit. So anyway, ended up stopping the car, letting one of my boys drive and then almost got in a fist fight over a cigarette. Cause I'm like, man, give me your cigarette. Give me a cigarette, man. This is my last one. Nigga, I don't care. Give me your last cigarette then. And we was about to fight over a cigarette. <laughs> so we get back around the way. Uh, I think they went on in the other car and got the weed. Right. So they pulled my mama's car. This was my mama's car. Pulled my mama's car into the alley. and was like, damn, man, you fucked your mom's car up. So I was like, nah, man, I'm good. I got an idea, though. So I jump in my Escort. Uh, that was my car. It was a little raggedy Ford Escort. And I throw it in reverse, and I hit my mother's car on the same side that I sideswiped all the other cars. Cause my And I could hear him yelling, man, what the fuck you doing? Someone get this nigga, man. He drunk. He tripping, man. He done wrecked another car. So I'm like, nah, man, I got this, man. I got this. And you just see a whole bunch of dudes standing around as I continue to hit my mother's car. So I'm like, nah, because I'm going to tell my moms that I was trying to park my car and I hit her car. So they was like, man, this nigga tripping. We ain't riding with him no more. So I jumped in the Escort and I decided to go to drive to Crown Gas Station to get some cigarettes. So going down Reed Street, I did it again in the Escort. I side-swiped a row of cars. Same side, the right passenger <laughs> side. And I get to the gas station. I'm like, man, I shouldn't be driving, man. I'm fucked up out here. So I go back to the house, and I'm looking at two cars that have all kinds of different color paint on them. So I go in the house, and I'm like, Ma, look, I accidentally backed into your car with my car when I was trying to park it. So she was like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So next day she goes and looks at it and she sees a streak of red and orange paint going all up and down the side of her car. And then she sees my car with the escort with a whole bunch of green paint going up and down. She was like, she didn't even bother questioning. She was like, I don't know. So that was like one of the nights that that I seriously said, I I need to stop drinking, man. This shit ain't cool. Well, the good thing is you quit. I I was laughing when you said this is one of the one of the instances that made me stop drinking. It was like, you know, <laughs> one of many instances that made me stop drinking. But, yeah. you know, the thing about recklessness, man, it's it's just not all. It's so many different ways to be reckless. I think people think of uh, health as a way to be reckless. Um, I mean, you know, like we mentioned earlier, finances, you know, that can be catastrophic. And I think that's far more common. But you also have um, recklessness in your personal relationships. You may not respect your partner like you should. You may do, uh, you know, infidelity. Um, you may not practice safe sex if you're out there doing whatever you're doing. Um, so it's a lot of different ways. And um, another thing, um, <laughs> instance of me being kind of reckless was, um, now I will state, I remember this and I knew what I was doing the whole time. And I didn't tell anyone because I knew that people would say I was crazy and I shouldn't do it because it was reckless. Um, I'd already been dealing with panic attacks and anxiety issues before I'd gotten diagnosed with PTSD. Um, this is one of my last couple of years in a fire department. I was on lieutenant's list, getting ready to get promoted. And, but at that time I was also just doing strange things in a, in a bad uh, quote relationship that I should have known better than to ever be in, in the first place. Here's just a tip. Never get involved with a married person. If you're not married, They're, don't do it. Okay. Um, so that was, that was the first red flag for me. Um, so for some reason, I said, you know what? I want to get in the CIA, but I've been in the fire department since I was 20. So I don't have no experience other than the fire department. So I think I need to go to the military to get experience so I can get into the CIA. I don't know why I thought that, but okay. 
Um, so I went to the Marine Corps recruiter. Sergeant Romo was the guy that recruited me. I was 26 going on 27, which is the maximum age for the Marine Corps. Sergeant Romo was maybe 23. So he looks at me and I come in in my uniform. He says, uh, why do you want to be in a Marine Corps? And I told him, I said, I want to specialize in MI so I can be on the ground and see action and then get into the CIA. And he looked at me and said, well, why do you want to do that? You look like you have a good job already. I said, I do. And I have plenty of money, but I just want to do something else. I want to, you know, I want to get into the CIA. I want to do that uh, clandestine stuff that we always would talk about in conspiracy theory. So I started to go through the process. Um, he knew something was off, though. And he told me that uh, if I have any disabilities or mental issues, I need to say something before I get to processing in Baltimore, because they will find out at some point. And at that point, you'll be dishonorable if you get into boot camp and finish. So um, I'd end up calling Sergeant Romo back and told him, well, I have a tr disability. Um, I've been getting, well, I'm sorry. I've been getting treated by a psychologist for two years now. I've been on these medications, this and that. And um, she thinks it may be PTSD. She told me that, sorry, you're not getting a waiver for that. And this was during the wars. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I was a little dejected and I was pissed that I couldn't get in. And I ended up subsequently getting told the same thing by Army. Um, so I said, okay, I got another option. Now, mind y'all, I got kids. I didn't tell nobody. I thought about joining a French Foreign Legion. I said, you know what? Fuck the fire department. I want to get out of America. I wanted to move to Canada, but I couldn't. So I said, I'm going to join a French Foreign Legion. I'm going to be a mercenary. Well, that didn't go anywhere fast. And then I just abandoned that. I probably took a couple Percocet laid in a tub and thought about writing a book or something. But um, <laughs> thankfully, I didn't take that step. But, um, you know, recklessness, man, it. If if you don't sleep on some things, you really can ruin your life. Yeah, yeah, man. What? So what the fuck is the French Foreign Legion? <laughs> it's a special branch of the French military that takes in people from in all over the world. Um, they don't care who you are. They don't care what your record is. They don't care if you you don't you're not a citizen. They don't care about anything. Typically, it's it's made up of people who are criminals. Um, on a run from something or just had a bad go and they want to drop off the face of the earth. Damn. And that's what the French Foreign Legion is. They, they, they're mercenaries. They take, all you do is you walk up to their recruitment office, their headquarters, you walk in, you sign up and they take you. And the training is brutal. There ain't much oversight. Um, they die a lot. They go to wars that France is not even necessarily fighting in. They don't play. They're probably one of the most elite military units in the world. So I seriously considered French Foreign Legion at that time. Damn. Fucking with a married woman, see that that's the part that we kind of skipped over, right? I I never understood that, man. Like, <laughs> I, I skimmed over what, that. How how'd you end up in that type of situation? Yeah, I skipped over that. <laughs> um, it was stupid. I was stupid, and I was pissed off at myself for probably two years because how stupid I was. That was just a bad situation. I mean, I I threatened her husband with death. If I saw his truck, um, I mean, it was just not thinking. I mean, I was single at the time. Um, but when you make questionable decisions in your personal life, your your romantic life, and you don't think about something as obvious as you're not getting with a married woman, you know, you, you um, you're risking a lot. <laughs> and typically their partner finds out as usual, you know, you you believe, oh, man, they're going to leave that person. They're going to leave that person. And they don't. They never do. Um, so when the guy found out, you know, I get phone calls, threatening phone calls, actually. And I'm like, you know, well, this motherfucker obviously doesn't know me. 
So I'm trying to be cordial because I was actually the one that was <laughs> breaking up the home there. But at the same time, when I got a little tired of playing that back and forth game of letting this bozo run his mouth to fill macho, I just ended up having to say, if I see you in my town, I'm going to kill you. If I see your truck with the blank sticker on the windshield, I'm going to kill you. And I let him know that I know exactly what he drives, how he looks, and what his license plate is. And that changed the whole tone of the conversation. And it was around that time when I realized, man, this is this has the potential to really get out of control. And I don't think it's worth it. So just anybody out there, look, anyone out there who is in that situation right now, get out of it. Trust me, it's not going to work. You're going to regret it. You're going to feel like a jackass. And you better hope that there's no violence involved. Yeah. So take it from P from Charlotte. I am an experienced 36-year-old wise man. Get out of that situation, male or female, if you're in it, because it's only going to bring trouble. Man, I've never, ever once, like, messed with married people. So what I would think is, now, this is me after the fact, of course, looking back, but I I think this goes for any any married couple. Man, he was pretty much in the right by doing the whole tough guy thing. Like, dude, you're fucking his wife. And, you know, it's like, what else was he supposed to do? Uh, Yeah, you can, I guess, keep fucking her. I mean, I do know somebody like that. (laughs) But, uh, like, yeah, man, he he was in the right there. So the the ultimate end goal in your situation was you wanted her to leave her husband and come be with you, right? Well, see, the the thing was ultimately that's not what it started out as. That was only that only became an expectation when it was uh, presented that way. And I'm like, oh, okay. And when you're already going through stuff with your brain, you're tripping. That was right around the time I lost my career. I was pretty much jacked up at that point. You kind of become irrational, and you start trusting things and people you shouldn't trust. And that whole culmination of events was. The same year when I lost my career, when my disability was really at its at its worst. So, um, yeah, you kind of become gullible. And if you start becoming gullible, you start ignoring red flags and and putting yourself in bad situations. And, you know, if you're not able to identify it quickly or you may really, really put yourself in jail or like 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 in this situation, it could have resulted in somebody getting killed. Yeah, man, I see back at that age, I would have probably reacted the same way had I found out, like if I were in his shoes, I would have probably came down there and tried to kill you. And this is one of the things, too, that I struggle with as a more mature adult is you weren't the problem. Really, the problem was his wife who was cheating on him. Right. So it's like if you have a problem and you you want to address this situation, you need to address your wife, not the other dude that's fucking her because dudes are going to be dudes. Hey, you know, some people, they they like messing with people that are already in committed relationships. So, man, I I mean, looking looking at it now, if I were in his shoes, I just blame man, whatever. Like, who who cares, man? Because I kind of I mean, the the thing was that. Well, that was my attitude back then. If, no. if I was, I, that's what I would, no, I'm talking about with him. That was what I would have expected him to do because prior to that, I was in a long-term relationship mm-hmm. and something similar happened. I was, instead though, I was the one who was dogged out. 
Right. And I was mad at first. And and the thing that makes this situation different is I knew this guy. He didn't know me. Um, so I was mad at first because I knew this guy. I'm like, this asshole, I've known this dude all this time. And I was initially mad. But then after a while, I said, you know what? I'm not mad. And I didn't bother saying nothing to him. I didn't have any animosity towards him because I felt like, well, shit, he just doing what, what a man does. Yeah. Um, so I guess I, I think I kind of got caught slipping with this asshole because I expected other men to think the same way. Right. And apparently I was wrong. Yeah, man. I mean, that that's that's how I look at it now. But back, you know, in our 20s, early 20s, I'd have probably viewed it a lot differently. And I would have probably acted more in line of how how the dude acted. But yeah, man, I mean, I, I would never I value my life. And it's crazy to be someone who is depressed, someone who has anxiety issues someone who doesn't have much of a social life or a large group of friends or you know what have you who's often entertained the um idea of suicide and not wanting to live anymore i still value my life a little too much to go you know fucking with fucking around with married women man like that should get your ass killed so fuck that yeah it's not worth it especially when you're doing stuff as yeah, you know, I was, I was, I was fucked up, man. I was thinking crazy shit like, well, fuck this. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get her pregnant and fuck with him <laughs> and make him mad. <laughs> and, th- you know, that was stupid. I'm glad that that was not a thought that lasted very long. And, you know, I mean, look, Dan, I think the moral of this, well, not the moral, I think what we're getting from these stories is that I've probably been a little more reckless, <laughs> a little more reckless than you, <laughs> than you have been in in adult life. Because I mean, I'm thinking of other shit as I talk. I think of more and more and more stupid things. Um, <laughs> but just, I just wanted to say to the people listening. I mean, recklessness comes in many forms, man. I mean, I know we're kind of lighthearted with our stories here, but they they are really serious, you know, situations that you can put yourself in. I mean. Whether it be our teenage years, Dan, I remember, I know you remember the, uh, when you got in trouble with the, uh, the credit card, you know, as a teenager, you know, or we we were, when we would smoke weed and in the bathroom at school and knowing people can walk in or, you know, some of the neighborhoods we would go into to buy weed from, um, I mean, you can put yourself in a bad, in a jam. And I think though, Dan, the worst thing, and I think the thing that made me settle down the most, even when I do still have situations when I'm pissed today, because I still have a lot is you got to think about your family and those that care about you and who you care about and ask yourself, do you want to put them through some bullshit because you did something stupid? Yeah. And I think that is kind of what centered me a lot since I've moved down here versus when I was still back in the DC area, when I was doing some strange stuff before I moved. Yeah. Yeah, man. I can honestly say that, um, the the same thing happened to me when I moved to New Orleans. Now, again, I guess as is evident, um, I wasn't quite as reckless. I was more calculated, but I mean, you know, we all we all did our our things that were harmful to us. Um, when I moved down to New Orleans, right, and I, I guess we'll wrap up with this is a change of scenery and a change of pace. It can be a good thing for people. Um, I was a, I still am a high school job, a junior high school dropout. 
Um, I spent majority of my teenage years, my juvenile life in juvenile facilities, detention centers, group homes. Um, if you would have asked anyone about me back home who I grew up with, people, you know, my peers, teachers, um, probation officers, court officials, all of them would have probably told you the same thing, which was he's going nowhere fast. Uh, he'll end up dead or in jail. And, you know, I, no positive, no positive praise or anything. Right. So I get down here to New Orleans where I don't know anybody. I don't know this culture, this this, um, you know, this way of life. The New, New Orleanians are, man, they're something different. Uh, love them to death. But they they like, you know, how you say you if you can make it here. New York or, you know, whatever the city may be, you can make it anywhere. Nah, bro. New Orleans is a little different. Um, But like I tell some of the people that I've kind of gotten to know over the years, these stories and they're in complete disbelief. They don't believe that I, you know, was a juvenile delinquent, a long rap sheet, uh, middle school dropout. Like they don't believe any of that stuff. And I like it that way because I was able to get my life together without anyone knowing my past or being able to hold shit that I've done in the past over my head. So since I've been down here, I mean, I've become a, as I talk about often, a IT professional, a, for a while, a professional music, a tracking engineer, um, I've done a whole lot of shit that I think that if I would have stayed back in the D.C. area, I I would not have been able to do. And I probably more than likely would have been dead or in jail just because I was still in the same environment that I grew up in that I, I guess normalized a lot of the things that I was doing as far as the people, the places and the shit to do, man. So moving to New Orleans as much as I hate it and as much as I hate the South and I talk shit about it, like no bullshit, it saved my life. I mean, shit started boxing like I mean, we've always boxed, but started boxing for real, for real down here. Uh, Stop drinking. Uh, Don't do any drugs. Don't do any, Um, you know, I don't engage in risky behavior. I basically at this point in my life, I go to work. I used to go to the gym often. I don't do that as much these days. And I go home. That's it, man. Back home, I would have never had this um, simple of a life. So when you moved to Charlotte, did you notice a lot of the same things? I I know you kind of reluctantly moved there, but is it fair to say that you being down there and being removed from the environment that you came up with? And I know you can tie a lot of your mental health issues to the area. You know, as you say, Route 1, um, where you used to work as a firefighter EMT. Do do you think moving to Charlotte, North Carolina changed your life in a in a positive way other than, you know, what you just mentioned? Big time. Well, first, I got to say um, my wife, she's the best thing that ever happened to me because uh, before I met her, I was just kind of just. I was wandering aimlessly. I had money. I was on Social Security. I had money. Um, and before I was on Social Security, I had money in the fire department. I had my babies, my two kids. But, um, you know, you still get a lot of time by yourself. And before I met my wife, I was, I mean, I was doing strange shit. Um, and I kind of started to get to that point when you realize you're tired of it. 
Um, and I think for me, the thing that really made me get tired of my circ- my circumstances was, um, you know, I never drank alcohol, but uh, I used to try different things here and there, you know, whether it be the pills or things like that. And um, I had a bad reaction once. And, and that's, I was called Dan talking about my rosaries and he was just like, this nigga tripping. And um, <laughs> that was right before I met my wife. And then I ended up meeting my wife and um, I stopped doing all that other BS. I stopped hanging around the same crowd and, you know, I kind of started to get things back in order. I got my money back in order. My my lawsuits and all started to take back off again. And um, I ended up moving here to Charlotte. And um, I feel like I've become docile since I moved here. And that's not a bad thing. I'm saying that in terms of I'm not so high strung anymore. Got right. more kids and um, you kind of have a greater appreciation for what's the most important. And you look back and you say, you know, that shit I was doing, I, you know, like Dan said, if I would have kept doing that stuff, I probably would be dead by now or at minimum locked up because they lock your ass up back at home in Alexandria or PG County or in D.C. They lock you up quickly. Hell yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's I noticed something similar to change of pace, change of uh, surroundings and you kind of can rebuild your life, hang out with better people, associate with better people. And um, start from scratch if you, you know, if you need to. I guess in closing, uh, the guys that we grew up with, right, majority of them, and this is not an exaggeration, majority of them are dead or in jail. And even to this day, I mean, I've been gone from D.C. for 16 years now, 17 years, 16 years. Yeah, 16 it's years. Been a long time. Um, I look, I, I still get like Facebook, you know, I was browse Facebook from time to time and I see so-and-so died, so-and-so died, so-and-so died. And a lot of them are, are murders, man. Like, you know, you, you look at it and say, damn, that could have been me because I used to run with so-and-so. So, you know, it's like, it's a breath of fresh air and I don't surround myself with the same types of people. Like, the people we hung with were straight up out the hood, out the gutter. We had nothing. We had limited resources. We had um, a lot of us single parent households. Parents were on drugs. Um, man, it, it was rough. But that's the type of people even outside of our neighborhoods we would associate ourselves with is the same same crowd of people. They're from another hood, but they have, you know, single parent households, uh, financial they're, they're fin- financially disadvantaged, uh, poor educations. And I got down here and I'm like, fuck that. I'm not surrounding myself with these types of people anymore. I, I took I take a very conservative approach as far as who I decide to kind of hang out around, get to know or whatever. Like th- there's no way I they they get on these rappers and these actors and all these other successful people for not coming back to the hood, you know, after they've made it. Fuck that. I haven't made it and I still don't want to go back to the hood and I don't associate with anybody from the hood or even in hood adjacent. Like I I just don't do that. So it's like I've surrounded myself with more professionals uh lawyers nurses doctors um musicians things that you know people who may have come from that but they're not in the hood anymore because it's my belief and it might be an unpopular opinion is that 
hood niggas will bring you down no matter what. Like you can be the one positive brother and you hang around niggas from the hood long enough. They will bring you down and probably rob you along the way. So, you know, I'm like, fuck that. I'm not surrounding myself with these types of people anymore. I'm not surrounding myself with the type of person that I was. I'm surrounding myself with the type of person who I'd want to be, you know, and they they say there's an old saying is uh, if you're the smartest one in the room, you're in the wrong room. And that that's kind of how I look at shit now, man. Like, fuck, fuck niggas, man. Like, like from the hood or whatever. Of course, there's always that one person that you got to stay somewhat connected with in case, you know, <laughs> some shit go down and you need to call some niggas from the hood. But. Aside from that, man, fuck that shit, man. Uh, how about you in uh, Charlotte? Like the people that you have surrounded yourself with. I think anybody who feels as though that your philosophy is wrong is the person that you don't want to be hanging around. Look, I mean, the thing is this, right? Everybody says, oh, but when you make this, you want to be in the hood no more. Well, yeah, because by and large, the hood is a negative place to be, right? The people from the hood who are worth still being around you, whether they stay in the hood still or not, are those who want to get out of there, are those who don't subscribe to mediocrity and just want to sit around getting high, breaking the law all day. You mm-hmm. know, it's not necessarily, you know, because I can see the messages coming and the criticism coming. It's not necessarily, I don't want to be around people who live in this environment, I mean, who live in this place. No, it's about the mindset. Right. That affects many people that live in those places. I mean, we've been in those places. We either lived in those places or hung out in those places. And frankly, you have a lot to lose being in those places. I mean, even just, I don't know if people remember this. Well, people from Rawway or no, you would get, you can get in trouble or arrested or a ticket from the cops. If you just enter a certain neighborhood and you can't justify why you're there, mm-hmm. you know, they do that in DC. They did that in Alexandria. If they knew you didn't live in Delray, they asked you for your ID. If they say what you got, what business you got around here and you couldn't verify anything, they send your ass away. Yeah. And if you were on probation, they take you in, you know, and, and that's for a reason. That's because it's a lot of things that go on that, you know, is just not really conducive to success. Yeah. So I agree with you, Dan. I mean, you know, I don't, I like to hang around people who may have come from the same environments we came from. But at the same time, I don't want to hang around people who act like how we used to act. I think if more people adopted that philosophy, they they end up being a lot better off. Pretty much. You kind of you are who you hang around. Yeah, exactly, man. So I guess that that brings this show to its conclusion. And again, just to kind of summarize, we went over. Reckless behavior, some of the things that cause reckless behavior, borderline personality disorder. Then we shared, you know, some of the things that we've done, because what we're trying to do is we're trying to get a little more personal because, you know, I've had a few people reach out on social media and say, yo, I thought I was the only one that felt like this or, yo, I can totally relate to that. And, um, you know, that's it's it's good to know that. The things that we've gone through and the things that we're currently going through on as far as mental illness uh, goes, people can relate to because for so long we we've sat individually, you know, not knowing exactly each other's problems and said, yo, I'm, I'm fucked up. I know the way I feel isn't right, but we've always been too afraid to come forward and tell anybody in the black community. And in, in 
most minority communities, the traditional way we handle mental illness is to sweep it under the rug, try to act as normal as possible. And if a family member does something outrageous, like, say, P just disappearing for two days in Opelousas and telling some random country <laughs> bride he's going to marry her, um, you know, that becomes crazy, <laughs> crazy cousin P, you know, and we we never seek out treatment. We it's like, don't talk about it. Just don't talk about it. And it's good to know that we're in a place in 2019 where we can have these conversations openly and not worry about being judged because some some of the things that we feel and that we've gone through 10 years ago, I would have never like spoken a word of them, you know, so it's, it's good to know that our stories and the things we talk about people can relate to. So we're going to try to continue to to be a little more personal as far as mental illness goes and, you know, continue to talk about our experiences. I mean, next next episode, uh, maybe we'll we'll talk about, you know, an in-depth conversation about psychiatric medicine that that we've taken because, you know, we've we've kind of glanced over it a few times, but never really got in depth. So stuff like that, because I'm sure there's someone out there that's taken psychiatric medicine that says, yo, I had these same experiences and nobody believes me or I'm too afraid to speak up because I'm already viewed as crazy. So, you know, just wrap it up with, with that. Uh, P, any closing thoughts? I think it helps a lot for people who are going through things to have you know, others who can relate to them, even if it's just two strangers on a podcast like us, um, it helps. You know, you don't feel like you're so alone. You don't feel like an outcast. You don't feel like um, you can't tell anyone or you have to keep a secret. And like we were saying in a few instances tonight about uh, recklessness, when it starts to get to things like that, where you're actually doing unhealthy, unsafe or uh, just dangerous things, you really, really um, don't want to be in a position where you feel as though you got to keep it a secret. You want to have someone you can trust and talk to or just even just have some kind of comfort in knowing that, you know, it's not as abnormal as you may think. So, um, you know, I guess in closing, man, I'll just say um, if you're doing strange, dangerous things, if you have someone you love that's telling you or that shows concern, maybe listen, you know, maybe you're not aware, um, but just. Just always make sure that you get help if you feel like you need it. If you have to ask yourself if you need help, chances are you probably do. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, you know, uh, you can check us out. We're, we're actually going to try to work on publishing episodes more frequently. So bear with us as we kind of toy with the new schedule. As always, um, I am Dan. You can catch me on Twitter and IG at I am Dan on drugs. And I am P in Charlotte. And you can catch me on Twitter and on Instagram at screws loose pod.